right. Thank you, sir. This is going to be an interesting day. So I'm going to pray a different kind of prayer for this offering and for this service. Amen? Lord God, I thank you for all the offerings that have come in today. Father God, we give this not to the church, not to people, not to programs. Father, we give this to you. We return to you what belongs to you. Father, you have given us the blessings of our wives and our husbands. You've given us the blessing of our children. Father, for those who are single, you've given us the blessing of your church, where we are a family, where we do belong, where we are loved, where we have our place in our being. Father God, I pray today that this will be used to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father God, I pray you lay your hands today on this message, that it sinks into our heart, Father God. And as we go forward into finishing the bylaws of this new church, Father God, as we look forward to what you are doing, God, guide us in the days ahead. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm going to declare today no zombie days. Y'all know what a zombie is? A zombie is a brain-dead, thoughtless, meaningless individual who just goes at the impulse of their own stomach and desire. Okay, these walls right here, this is the Christ zone. Anybody standing outside the walls is a zombie today. So if you can hear me, you need to get your zombie behinds in here. Because today, if you walk outside the doors during this sermon, I'm declaring you a zombie. That's just how it goes. I do that because I really think that God needs zealots in his church, not zombies. We need people who have a passion for Jesus Christ, not people who simply show up and stand around like thoughtless, brain-dead pieces of meat. A lot of churches in America are filled with people who simply show up. Now, I, you know, I've seen outside the sanctuary of the church during services, not my service, of course. Um, but I've seen outside of the, of the sanctuary services, people standing around. And I said, brother, what are you doing out here? Oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing this for the Lord. I said, no, you're not. You're ignoring God's word. Why are you ignoring God's word? Well, I'm ignoring God's word because it hurts. Right. And that's why you need to get in there and take part. I used to go over to our youth service, and we had about 100 and some youth in there. And there was always four or five guys outside. And I said, what are you doing out here? Oh, well, we're talking. Why are you talking during the service? Oh, well, we don't like the music or we don't see the point. I said, let me guess, you're not a born-again believer, are you? How do you know? Because if you were a born-again believer, you would be in there listening to the Word of God, not standing here talking about the girls and their hemline and how cute they are. You do that after the service. Everybody knows that. Here's the point. During the preaching of God's Word, not because it's me. I don't care who's up here. You know, I don't care what person is standing in the pulpit. When God's word is being delivered, our attention needs to be upon the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. So if you see anybody walk out of here that's not headed to the bathroom because they just took a water pill, you need to tell them, look, zombie, get back in here. Because we don't let the living dead come into church, amen, unless they're looking to be born again. All right, this morning, Jesus Christ wants zealots, not zombies. For in Christ, we are victors, not victims. A victim is a person who says, oh, woe is me, the world is tough, and I just can't hang. Sweetheart, if you are in Christ, you are not a victim. You are victorious through Jesus Christ. You may have forgotten that. You may have forgotten that you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You may have forgotten that you have the promises of God's word to stand on. But here's the thing. God don't like victims. God came to die to resurrect the dead, to bring them back so he could use them. Romans 12, 10 through 12. 
Now, we finished 1 Peter last week. We are going on to the book of Nehemiah next week. But I had a conversation with a bright, intelligent, almost brilliant young man last week. And I sat down, I talked to him, and I said, you know what? God really desires zealots, not zombies. And his eyes lit up, and the little question mark went away, and the I get it circle glowed over his head, and I went, that's it. That's the message I need to preach today to transition from 1 Peter, who talked about suffering and pain and anguish, to Nehemiah, which talks about being victorious. Nehemiah is a victorious book. It's not for defeated people. It's for conquerors and kings, which is who we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? Romans 12, 10 through 12 says this. Zeal is an action word. Now, this is what it says. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction and persistent in prayer. Now, here's the thing, church. This is who we're supposed to be. Ladies, have you ever seen your husband say, I love you, honey, and then proceed to go sit in front of the television for six hours and watch football? Okay, here's the thing. Your husband's a liar. Because love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is not what you think in your head or feel in your heart. Love is what you do with your life. If you love your children, if you love your wife, ladies, if you love that man that you married, remember, you married him, it's your fault. If you love that man, you're going to do something about that love. It's going to inspire you. Look at what he says right here. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. This is an amazing word. This word right here, family affection. Oh, it's gone. It's not there on the screen. Well, I feel sad now. Okay. Huh? Oh, there it is. Hallelujah, it came back. All right, family affection, philostorgos, ugly, ugly Greek word. But it comes from two words. One is phileo, the love of brothers, the love of comrades in arms. That's phileo. That's why we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. But storgos, this is a word for family. This is the love of mother for daughter, father for son. This is in a family, this is how you love. This word puts them together, so it's twice as powerful. We don't love each other in the church just because we're all from the same place. We're all from different places. You might be from the Philippines, but you're from different provinces in the Philippines, different places in the Philippines. Some of you are second generation. Your parents were born there, you're born here, but you're held together by this family love for Jesus Christ, amen? This, this animate, passionate love that calls you to do something. If you say, I love my church, that's wonderful. But what are you doing about the love you say you have for your church? How does that love, how does that philo story goes, how does it move you forward? What does it cause you to do? It caused a college student in Baytown, Texas, to get out of the pew and get in the pulpit. I never wanted to be a pastor. But right now, I cannot imagine my life any other way. It's an amazing, amazing life that God has gifted me with. It's a blessing to stand here today and to have this word open. It's just an amazing thing for me. So show family affection. If you come to this church and say you love this church, what can you do? We came in this morning, there were all these leaves and stuff in the foyer out there. Someone had opened the doors and all the leaves and the brush blew in last night. Somebody, I won't say what magnificent, incredible, passionate, really sexy woman cleaned with a vacuum this morning. I'm not going to say who was. <laughs> You know, but she cleaned it. Did she have to clean it? No. 
She could have waited for somebody else to do it. My daughter got there, and we put out the tables and everything. Why? Because it's our job to do it? No, but we love the church. So why not do it? Why not come in and say, you know what? I'm the first one here. Let me do this to serve other people. That's Philostorgos. That's the love of family, family affection. He says, he says, do not lack diligence. Diligence is attention to detail. If you are a nurse in a surgery and someone's heart is open in front of you and beating and pulsing, can you, can you sit there with a knife and throw it around and catch it by the tip? No, why? Because if you miss, it's going to go right through the guy's heart and kill him. That's not an attention to detail. That's not this persistence, this, this looking carefully at what you're doing. It says don't lack diligence. Pay attention to loving each other. Don't just let it happen. I mean, it's easy to love me. I'm lovable. Not everybody in church is lovable like me. Come on, feed the passion, y'all. There you go. But here's the thing is, every person that walks in that back door, whether they've been here every day for five years or whether they just came back, you deserve to be loved as passionately as any person who's here every day of the week. Amen? Visitors need to know that you are as important to us as the most staunch, long-term member of the church. That's the truth. That's how we are to love each other. We are commanded in Romans to love each other that way. It says, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Now, this is for, this is for Lenny, but he's not here. Because I've heard Lenny talk often and ad nauseum about his love for Kat. And he has a fervent love for her. This word, you can, you can throw this at him. This word means to boil rapidly as though subjected to intense heat. To boil rapidly as a fluid on a fire. That is fervent love. It says, so be fervent in your spirit toward each other. Only the Holy Spirit causes that kind of passion. You have to let him stir that up within you. If you say, Lord, I'm feeling kind of cold. Lord, fire me up. Light a fire under the pot of my spirit. Let me boil for you. Now, here's the thing. When you boil, it either boils up or it boils over. You should have love that boils over because it's subjected to the heat of God's love. Amen? That's this picture of how we live in the church. We don't just show up and sit and eat and go home. That's not fervent spirit. That's not paying attention to detail. That's not diligence. We need to, Lord, fire me up so that I am anxious to do, talk to anybody that you put in my path, because you don't know. Your testimony may be exactly what somebody needs today. You're not here by accident. You're here because God put you here. He drew you here. He got you out of bed. He got you away from the TV, even though the football game was on this morning. He brought you here so that you could hear this word, that you have a purpose. And that purpose is to be on fire. And not just on fire for your wife. It's easy to be on fire for your wife. Come on. 18 years of marriage, and I still love the woman. And she hasn't thrown me out of the house yet. It's good. But I'm supposed to have that kind of passionate love for everybody that God puts in my path. And only the Holy Spirit can inspire that. That is the truth. Consider John 2, starting at verse 15. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with its sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. This is Jesus, of course. This is my Jesus. My Jesus is not that wimp that goes along looking all sad and depressed and, oh, woe is me, nobody gets it. That Jesus they show you on TV, this is Jesus. He told them, he told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was thus written, zeal for your house will consume me. God is a consuming 
fire, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in every aspect of your relationship. God is the consuming fire that fills you up. It is the love for God, the zeal, the passion for God that allows us to work as unto the Lord and love as unto the Lord and give to those who hurt us. That's what enables us to do that. That resilience does not come from some psychological mumbo-jumbo where they take you through regression therapy and you think back to when you were Queen Cleopatra. It doesn't come from that. Although there's some people that still do that stupid stuff. I was a queen in a former life. Yeah, I know a lot of queens. I live in San Francisco. But that doesn't change their life either. Here's the thing. It's only that passionate walk with Jesus Christ that fills us up like that. Jesus was so filled with the passion for God's house. That's how we should be. We should be so passionate for God's house that we desire to be here. We desire to pray here. We desire to praise here. We desire to make worship everything we're about. It's not the building. It's not this building. It's this body of Christ that is supposed to consume us. I like at the end. He says, now rejoice in hope. The word rejoice means to have a calm happiness. I was talking to one of our youth, and, and this person said, well, you know, I'm not very bubbly on the outside. I said, good. People who are bubbly on the outside are usually mass murderers and homicidal lunatics. You know, they're like, <laughs> I'm happy. No, those are scary people. Those are scary. But the people who have that calm, resting assurance in who Jesus Christ is, you see it. They go through cancer. They go through marriage trouble. They go through accidents. They go through every challenge, and they are unshaken in their faithfulness to God because they have this rejoicing spirit. Rejoice in the hope that Jesus Christ is coming back for you. Hope means a sure, certain knowledge. I tell you now in the authority of God's word, I am going to heaven because I have been forgiven. And when the rapture comes, I'll miss y'all if you ain't going with me. You understand? I have that hope. I know that whether I live or die, Christ is my Lord. He is my future. I rejoice in that hope. I am patient in affliction. Patient means to bear with, to bear up under. A lot of kids suffer stuff in school if you're a believer. If you are a believer going to public school today, you suffer a lot of insults, a lot of sideways looks, a lot of jokes about you, about who you are, how you live your life. And it, it hurts. It does hurt when your friends say things about you just because you're a believer. But here's the thing. It says be patient. Bear with it. Stay up under it. Remember the word abide in the scriptures? He who abides in me and I abide in him. You know what the word abide means? Anybody here have a golf umbrella? I got a golf umbrella. I don't play golf, but I have a golf umbrella. You know what's amazing about golf umbrellas? They're huge. They're massive, and they go all the way over you. They cover everything. The word abide means to stay under the umbrella. Stay under the umbrella. So when it says right here, be patient in affliction, it means get up under the umbrella of God's abiding spirit and don't leave there. Don't step out there and try and be a smart mouth. Don't step out there and try and do it on your own. Don't try and prove them wrong. Stay up under the umbrella of God's protection. He will bear the rain. He will bear the hailstones. He will keep the weight off your shoulders so that you can walk with your head up. You ever wonder why church people fail? Because they're trying to do it in their own flesh, in their own strength, in their own spirit. And you will always, 100% of the time, fail when you try to do it on your own. But if you let God bear that burden and you abide in him through the word, through prayer, and through attendance to, the, to scripture and other things, then you can bear up under it. You can do that. You can make that last. So we rejoice in the hope that we have. 
We are patient when people say things about us or, or inflict pain on us because we know that Christ bears the burden for us. Finally, be persistent in prayer. This means to give careful attention to. Moms, you know how y'all always busting your children up for not doing their homework and not paying attention and, and not, not taking the time to check all their stuff and their homework? This is for parents. It says the very same standard you set for your children who are students, God sets for you in how you live your life every day. Do you pay attention to the word? Do you pay attention to prayer? Have you done your chapter today in the scriptures? Have you done your morning devotional? Have you had that nighttime? Have you shared that testimony? It says be persistent, giving diligent, careful attention to this type of prayer. You know what most people's prayers look like? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, tell my husband not to snore tonight. Father, he is killing me. That's most of y'all's prayers. Seriously. Or this, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you know. You know, in goes the food. That's our idea of prayer. And I know it's hard. We went out with my brother and my sister-in-law yesterday, and we got our food, and they started eating. And then my wife looks at me, I look at my daughter and say, well, let's pray. And it was very uncomfortable for them, because they don't pray. They just eat. A lot of people just eat. They don't pray. And prayer is not what you do for everybody else. It's what you do to show the Lord you understand that came from him. Let's press on, though. So zeal is an action word, just like love is an action word. If you have zeal for the Lord, it does something. Ah, Romans 12, 13 through 15. Zeal moves us away from ourselves. Human beings are naturally selfish. We naturally want everything for us. Guess what? God is the complete opposite of that. God is not all about him. It's all about him. But God can do that because it's him. Did you get that one? Okay, you'll get in a minute. You'll, like Later today, you're going to go, huh, that was funny. I get that. My jokes creep up on you later. Anyways, Romans 12. See, you just got it. I like that. Romans 12, 13 through 15. Zeal moves us away from ourselves. 13 says this. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. That one hurts me. I'm not a hospitable person. I'm just... I'm just not, but my wife is, so she, she bears the hospitality for both of us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Here's the thing. Everybody wants to go to a party. Nobody wants to go to a funeral. We want to be there in the happy moments of people's lives, but going through pain and struggle and suffering, that's a different animal. Look at this, verse 13. Share with the saints in their needs. <clears throat> the word share means to hold things in common. Now, we know in the book of Acts that when the people were being cast out of their homes, cast out of their workplaces because of their faith in Christ, it says they would bring all things to the apostles and they would hold all things in common. Now, there was a group in history called the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists literally put a blanket in the center of the community and everybody brought everything, pots, pans, skillets, knives, all the household things that you say, this is mine, they put them in a common place and everybody came out, and they used it, and they cleaned it, and they put it back. They held all things in common. And yes, some people have accused Christians of being communists because of this, but we're not communists. We're communal. We hold all things in common. We hold this building in common with another church. And they take care of it, and we take care of it, and we do it together. Amen? That's what it means. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. For a person of the Near East... For Jews and those of that region of the world, hospitality was very important. If you hated a man, you wanted to kill him, you know the best thing he could do? 
walk in your front door. Because the law of hospitality said, so long as he's under your roof, not only can you not kill him, not only can you not hurt him, you can't even insult him, you can't even let anybody else hurt him. You have to protect him even if he's an enemy. That was the law of hospitality. And it was very close to the Jewish heart, very close to the Near Eastern heart. That means if somebody in this church is in trouble, you're supposed to help them. You don't say, wait a second, I'll call the pastor, he can do it. That's your job. As a believer, your job is to help the person next to you. If I find out about it first, I'm going to do something. And then I may pass it along so we can do it together. But there are times when I don't pass things on to you because you don't need to know about it. Because it protects the person I'm working with. But here's the thing. You may find out that your friend's in trouble. She might be pregnant. She might be having trouble with her family. You know what you do? You go and you help. You help her first and you bring others to help her with her family. We get involved in each other's lives. You say, but that's, that's terrible work. That's, that's heartache. It's misery. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. Being a family takes time, amen? Being a family means if you call at 2 in the morning, you go out at 2, 2.15. Okay, put your clothes on first. It helps. But go out the door after you put your clothes on. I've actually showed up at people's houses in my pajamas, which is just, that's crisis time. But I haven't done that to you yet, and I won't. Um, my big yellow fluffy pajamas, yeah. If, if I show up in yellow, I just got out of bed, so it's okay. Anyways, yeah, me and Mr. Brown, it's all good. Anyways, so it says, hold all these things in common, that love, that, that compassion you have for each other. But also this, I love this. Y'all going to hate this one. You're really going to hate this. Bless those who make your life a living hell. Bless them and do not curse them. Let's understand, though, blessing and cursing for these people was very different than us. Okay, the word bless means, you're going to love this, to speak well of or to speak well to someone. If I want to bless Katrina, I say, Katrina, I just, I just love the way you sing, you know, and your willingness to get up there and, and you give everything to the Lord, that is just amazing. I was talking to someone earlier today, they said, can you please stop praising me? I said, no. I said, I had to bless you, not curse you. Now, if you want me to curse you, I can whip that right out of my, right out of my pockets, no problem. Because the curse means this. Curse means to devote to destruction. To devote to destruction. When a, when a person of the Near Eastern culture would say, I curse you in the name of Yahweh God. It means I want you dead and I want him to kill you. That's what it means to curse somebody. Today, you know, we swear at people. I and mean, if, if you drive on the roads of North Carolina, you get sweared at a lot. You get a lot of hand signs, you know, stuff like that. But we don't think about it in these terms. For these people living in the first century, to curse somebody was deadly serious. Deadly serious. Because it was a, you were giving them up for destruction. You were basically asking, asking God to abandon them. And that's not something we can do. But you know what? We do that in our hearts sometimes. Sometimes we cut ourselves off from people because they've hurt us or they've abused our hospitality. We say, oh, I helped you five times. Or I, I, I bailed you out of jail three times. I had one guy in my last, in two churches ago. And that brother wound up in jail every time he was out. He got out of jail and he'd go get drunk, and he'd get thrown back. I saw that man more times in jail than I saw him in church. But you know what? Seriously. In fact, I think he's still in jail. It's possible. He is. He's still in jail. Figures. Anyways, but you know what? Even though I got tired of going to the jail, I got tired of seeing the same, the same police officers, 
Why are you back, Pastor? Well, who do you think's down there? Okay, that's right. I would get tired of going to the jail. I had to go to the jail. Why? Because even if this kid was as stupid as the day is cold, he was family. He was a born-again idiot. And I had to go down there to talk to him. No, I'm sorry. I love that kid, but just between A and D, there was no B and C. It was missing. He could not get to the end. But here's the thing. Even though he made me crazy, I still loved him. And I would still go see him. I'd say, man, what are you doing in here again? Well, I got out and I was feeling thirsty. Like, oh, well, let me guess. He went to here and then you did this and someone said this and then you hit him, right? Yeah, okay. You got to bear with the family. Now, you can't, you can't make it possible for them to continue their stupidness. But you do have to step in and love them. That's what this is. To cut them off from your life, to cut them off from your testimony is to curse them. Think about it. There's people out there that are not Christians that you know, and you find them very vile and very offensive people. It may be it's a doctor or a nurse you work with. It might be somebody in your school. It might be somebody in your family that you just find repulsive. And you say, I just don't want to deal with them. But when you don't deal with them, in effect, you're cursing them. I mean, you're cursing them because you're not allowing them to hear your testimony. You're not allowing them to experience the mercy of Christ through you. This is not a huge guilt trip, even though it is. I'm just saying we need to be thoughtful about how we interact with each other. It's easy to bless people, but to bless people is not to tell them a lie. You can bless somebody by going, you know what, I really love what you said at Bible study the other night, but you know what, you were wrong when you said this. That's not to stop blessing. I'm blessing him by saying, I hear you, but you made a mistake. The best blessing I can give in that situation is to wait and go to him, preserve his dignity, and tell him you were wrong. When you, when, you, when you said this from the scriptures, you were wrong. And you need to go back and look at that again so that you truly understand what, what the Lord is saying. Well, you know what I'm saying? Just because you don't point out someone's faults doesn't mean you're blessing them. You need to let them know the truth so they can respond accordingly. I mean, family is tough, right? Family is hard work. It takes time to be family. That's why when you commit to this church, you are committing to the time and the energy necessary for us to work together. And like I said, there may be a time when the shepherd has to come along with the crook and snatch you up, you know. And may go tap, 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 hello, what do you think you're doing? And I will do that. But at the same time, if I bless you and I speak well of you, it's because I see what Christ is doing in your life and I want him to continue to do it. Amen? Okay, and we should all be that way. Now he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I only have this to say. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. This says this, we are one body, and so when one is happy, we're all happy. When one hurts, we all hurt. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, a loose translation. Basically, it says if one rejoices, we should all rejoice in their success. But if one is sorrowful, we can be sorrowful for them in their misery. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with being happy with this person and weeping with that person. It's okay. That's part of being family. That's part of being one body in Christ. Remember, if you're doing really, really well and you are running and you're eating healthy and, and you're cutting the grass and your foot gets cut off in the lawnmower, okay, the whole body gets hurt, yeah? It's not just your foot that got hurt. It's the whole body that got hurt. Well, if one person goes down under the weight of sin, the whole church is hurt. If one person persists in sin or one person persists in a sinful attitude, 
just like cancer. One little cancer cell won't kill you. But if you don't deal with the cancer cell, it will metastasize through the entire church until it kills us all. That's the whole key to this. We got to do what's best for the body and so and for the individual person as well. But it's that it's that love. It's being able to to enter into their relationship. Also, um, Colossians four twelve. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers. The word contending is a fighting word. It's a battling word. He is battling for you in prayer. That prayer list that went out. I hope you are contending for the church in prayer. I hope you are looking at that prayer list and you are seeing where the needs are and you are praying for those needs. Lord, that brother really does need a new job. And that sister over there, she really does need strength to deal with the chemotherapy. And that, and that, that family over there, they really do need help dealing with this tragedy, this loss in their lives. Now, if you read the prayer list, you know all three of those requests already, don't you? Just say yes and make me feel better. Okay, there we go. He contends for you in prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God's wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Epaphras loved the people that he left behind. But he went and he did the Lord's will and he worked on their behalf. And even though he was far away and couldn't be there to minister to them, he prayed for them. He contended for them. He fought for them in prayer over each person whose prayer request was known to him. That's the kind of life we should all have. See, he was working hard at sharing the gospel, but he never forgot those he left behind. He never forgot the people at home. So that's something that whether you're here on Tuesday night or not, you need to pray with us. Turn off the bloody television, put down the newspaper and the Xbox, and put down the, uh, the DSI XL, just put them down, and for 15 minutes, pray with us for the health and the safety of this church. Can you do that? Can you, can you contend with us in prayer on Tuesday nights? Even if you're not here, can you stop and contend with us for the faithful? If you can do that, this church will grow stronger, healthier, and wiser. All right. Let's keep going. Romans 12, 16 through 18. Now zeal is expressed in humility. True zeal does not build itself up. It does not make itself the center. It doesn't say, look at me. Arrogance says, look at me. Arrogance says, my opinion is the only one that matters. Arrogance is never something that God can honor. But zeal, true zeal, is expressed in humility. It says in 16, be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Notice those words. And as much as it is in your power to control the situation, live at peace. Now, I'll be honest. There are some people that I don't care what you do, they are going to be contentious people. They are not going to live in peace with you. There's always going to be the person who is so consumed with themselves, so consumed with their own thoughts and attitudes, that no matter what you do, no matter how you try to love them in Jesus' name, they are not going to let you love them. And you know what? That ain't your fault. Do you understand me? In as much as it is in your ability to control it, you be at peace with people. Don't start the war. Don't start the war. Try to finish the war. Try to end the war. Try to give in to the war. But don't, beyond that point, you know, you can't control somebody else. 
If somebody is determined to live in anger, live in frustration, live in hostility, then we just turn them over to Satan, that their body may be beaten with the chains of guilt, that their soul might be saved. That's Paul, not me. Paul said that, not me. I, I love that quote, though. Okay, be in agreement. Now, this is interesting. A literal translation of the Greek will give you something of this sense. It says, think of, that is, regard or seek after the same things for each other. That is, what you regard or seek for yourself, seek also for the brethren. Aha. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? But this says, everything you want God to bless you with, pray that God blesses everybody else with too. Today we're going to work on the bylaws, amen? There's enough bylaws there that if we get contentious, if we get selfish, if we get arrogant, we'll be here for a month of Sundays. Literally, a month of Sundays. That's 31 Sundays. We don't want to do that. We want to sit down and look at this. We've already read it. We've all looked it through. We've all prayed it through. I know you have because you're just wonderful people and say amen to make me feel better. Okay, you've already read it so you know if there's any problems, you know what you're going to talk about. If there's no problems, we're going to go right on through the rest of it. Here's the good thing. It says, do not, be, do not have divided interest. Do not pursue different ends or aims. Don't indulge in plans contrary to those of the church and those of, of other people. Don't seek honors or offices for yourself. Everybody should seek to serve, not to be served. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to die as a sacrifice for other people. Your goal in the church should not be to obtain a position where you think everyone's going to look up to you. Because I got news for you. The higher you put yourself in the church, the easier it is for someone to kick you in the behind. You understand what I mean? The more visible you make yourself, the higher position you seek, the bigger a target you become in everybody's estimation. So be careful what positions you seek in the church. Don't seek them lightly, but seek them because you genuinely want to serve the body of Christ. I like this. It says in Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Same word that we're looking at. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I mean, Paul was brokenhearted. These Jews that he had grown up with, these fellow Pharisees, these fellow members of the Sanhedrin, these fellow religious leaders, they had a tremendous zeal for God, a zeal that consumed their life. It gave them over 600 laws that they had to keep every day. That's how passionate they were to be religious. Here's the problem. They, were, they had zeal, but not according to the knowledge of who God was and who Jesus was. You can be religious all day long and be wrong. You can be devout and be devoutly deceived. You know what I mean? Make sure what you're doing is according to the knowledge of God's word. Because they disregard the righteousness from God and attempt to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves to God's righteousness. That's what it's all about. That's the type of thing we have to avoid. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Do what's honorable in the sight of all men. All men knew what was right and just and proper. All men knew to be honest. All men knew to be faithful. All men knew to hold up the law. All men knew to hold up the weak, to support the widows and the orphans. All men knew this, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it because even though they had the law in their head, they didn't have the law in their hands. That's what he's talking about. I like this. He says, do what's honorable in everyone's sight. The word honorable means morally good and virtuous. We all know what honorable looks like in the lives of men, right? We know what honorable women look like, right? Here's the question. 
Is your, to die, is your desire today, sitting here in church, is your desire to be an honorable person? Now understand this. If you, if you buy into this, if you believe this is what God's word is saying, everybody here has to change their life today. Everybody. Including me. If we believe this type of zeal, this type of being consumed for God's house, consumed for his work, it changes us. Because suddenly some of the priorities that have crept up in our life, we have to get rid of them. Some of the things that we work for, we strive for, we desire for, some of the things that we pray for are wrong. Did you know that? Some of the things that we pray for are wrong. Why? Because all we pray for is me, myself, I, what I want, what's good for me, what would make me happy. And sometimes, honey, God's desire for you is that you die joyfully as a martyr for the faith. Remember what the word martyr means? Martyr? The word martyr means a witness. If you were a witness of Jesus Christ, you became a martyr when they burned you to death on the stake, or they fed you to the lions, or they allowed you to freeze to death in the Roman prisons. If you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, understand it means you are signing yourself to death. Hopefully it'll be death in about 120 years. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. I would like dying that way. I want to go at 119. I don't want to get too far. Anyways, this is the type of life, this is the type of zeal that God needs. Not the zombies that wander into church, wander around looking like they're alive, but secretly being dead inside. So, do you have godly zeal? Here's your checklist. Three things to check. Does your zeal for God motivate you to reach out and serve other people? If it does, say amen. 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 I think it should. I think if we have a zeal for God and God's heart was for his creation, we have a zeal for people, a desire to serve others. So two, do you seek to walk through life as a member of the Christian community? Now, that does not mean you show up at church on Sunday and you disappear for six days and you show up on Sunday again, except when you want something. That, they have a different word for that. That's not a member of a family. That's a parasite. You know what parasites are? You ever walk through the woods and you get a leech on you? You ever get a tick on you? Especially some of the places you get ticks. Wow. Um, those are parasites. Parasites live off of healthy organisms, usually transmitting disease along the process. Many churches in America today are infested with parasites. Now here's the thing. Unlike most parasites, we don't want to kill our parasites. We just want to baptize them in the name of Jesus and get them straightened out. Okay, but we need to know who the parasites are first. Okay, so if you are here, you need to be committed to this body, to these people, to this work. If we're going to go out and do homeless feed, we're committed. If we're going to do picnic Pinoy, you're committed. If we ask you to be a greeter, you're committed. If we ask you to cook, you're committed. If we ask you to bow down and kiss the pastor's ring, <laughs> then you should fire me for being an idiot. Okay, third. Yeah, I heard that now. <laughs> do you seek to be conformed to sound wisdom and doctrine, or do you decide to stand on your own? If you really think you can stand on your own and you know it more than anybody else, and you are iron that does not need to be sharpened by iron, I have news for you, and it's sad news. You already belong to the devil because that attitude right there is not of your Father in heaven. It is of the demons in hell. Anyone that says, I can stand on my own, I can do it my way, I can do whatever, I've, you have just been sold out to the, to the very depths of hell itself, and you are in danger of eternal destruction. I'm going to tell you that right now. So you have to be conformed to the wisdom of Christ, to the sacrifice of Christ, and to the way he would have us live our lives. That's how it goes. 
Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads unto salvation. And few there are that find it. Church, I want us to be among the few that find it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. God, I praise you because you are so good to us. Lord, you have shown your mercy. You have shown your grace. Father, we don't want to be zombies. We don't want to walk through life without thought, without heeding what's going on, without knowing what's happening. Lord, we don't want to be those types of of, of semi-living creatures that just go through the day to, to eat and to sleep and to work and have no life in them. Father God, I pray that today, today, Lord, you would motivate us to become alive in Jesus Christ. That, Father God, we would confess to you our sins of the past, that we have settled for less. We have, we have settled for being zombies when we need to be zealots, when we need to be on fire. We need to be those who burn brightly for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that right now a fire of zeal is leaping up in every heart here. And the Father, like Jesus, we can say that the zeal for your word, the zeal for your son has consumed us as a fire that has left nothing but love and passion and desire for you. And Father God, if there's anyone here today, if there's anyone here right now, Lord, that feels under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Father, someone is sitting here right now today, Lord, and they know that there's something not right in their life, there's something not right in their walk, Father, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you feel there's something wrong, could you slip your hand up? Just pop it up for a second because I want to see and pray for you. I want to pray that God's wisdom would come to you and that you would begin to know what's happening in your life. Father God, I see that hand and I pray for that person. Lord God, I pray that right now your spirit would move and, and, and this person would feel the, the light of your love coming through them, Father God, and igniting them. Father, it's so easy to, to get burned out and to get tired in, in Christian service. But God, I pray right now that the person who raised their hand is experiencing right now a renewal of the Spirit, a renewal of their heart. And Father God, they feel themselves becoming alive again, that they feel their eyes clearing, and, and the zombie cobwebs are being knocked out of their mind, and they want, Lord, to become part of this body of Christ. And Father God, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.